Chapter 4 of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter 4 Morning Calls. The little girls had been dismissed to the schoolroom before Mr. Gray had finally pushed away his teacup. Not being wanted by the ladies, he walked off to his timber-yard, and his wife followed to ask him some question not intended for the general ear. Sophia was struck with a sudden panic at being left alone with the strangers, and escaped by another door into the storeroom. As the last traces of the breakfast-things vanished, Hester exclaimed, "'So we may please ourselves, it seems, as to what we are to do with our morning.' "'I hope so,' said Margaret. "'Do let us get down to the meadow we see from our window.' the meadow that looks so flat and green we may very well take two hours grace before we need sit down here in form and order hester was willing and the bonnets were soon on as margaret was passing downstairs again she saw mrs gray and sophia whispering in a room the door of which stood open she heard it shut instantly and the result of the consultation soon appeared just as the sisters were turning out of the house Sophia ran after them to say that Mamma wished they would be so good as to defer their walk. Mamma was afraid that if they were seen abroad in the village, it would be supposed that they did not wish to receive visitors. Mamma would rather that they should stay within this morning. There was nothing for it but to turn back, and Hester threw down her bonnet with no very good grace, as she observed to her sister that, to all appearance, a town life was more free than a country one after all let us do our duty fully this first morning said margaret look i am going to carry down my work-bag and you shall see me sit on the same chair from this hour till dinner-time unless i receive directions to the contrary the restraint did not amount to this hester's chair was placed opposite to mrs gray who seemed to have pleasure in gazing at her and in indulging in audible hints and visible winks and nods about her beauty to every lady visitor who sat near her margaret might place herself where she pleased at the intervals of the visits of the morning she was treated with a diversity of entertainments by sophia who occasionally summoned her to the window to see how matilda Rowland was allowed to run across the road to her grandmamma's without so much as a hat upon her head to see jim bird the oldest man in the parish believed to be near a hundred who was resting himself on the bank of the hedge to see the peacock which had been sent as a present from sir william hunter to mr james a lawyer and which was a great nuisance from its screaming to say whether the two little reefs dropping their curtsies as they went home from school were not little beauties and in short to witness all the village spectacles which present themselves before the windows of an acute observer on a fine spring morning the young ladies had to return to their seats as often as wheels were heard or the approach of parasols discerned among the earliest visitors were mrs enderby and the redoubtable son mr philip Mrs. Enderby was a bright-eyed, brisk little old lady, who was rather apt to talk herself quite out of breath, but who had evidently a strong tendency still, and that was to look on the bright side of everything and everybody. She smiled smiles full of meaning and assent in return for Mrs. Gray's winks about Hester's beauty, and really cheered Hester with accounts of how good everybody was at Deerbrook. She was thankful that her maid Phoebe was better. She knew that Mrs. Gray would not fail to inquire, Really, Phoebe was much better. The influenza had left sad effects, but they were dispersing. It would be a great pity should the girl not quite recover, for she was a most invaluable servant. 
such a servant as is very rarely to be met with. The credit of restoring her belonged to Mr. Hope, who indeed had done everything. She supposed the ladies would soon be seeing Mr. Hope. He was extremely busy, as everybody knew, had very large practice now, but he always contrived to find time for everything. It was exceedingly difficult to find time for everything. There was her daughter Priscilla, Mrs. Rowland, whose husband was Mr. Gray's partner. Priscilla devoted her life to her children, and dear children there were, and no one who knew what she did for her children would expect anything more from her. But indeed, those who knew best, she herself, for instance, were fully satisfied that dear Priscilla did wonders. The apology for Mrs. Rowland, in case she should not call, was made without ingenuity. Hester fully understood it, and Mrs. Gray showed by her bridling that it was not lost upon her either. Mr. Enderby, meanwhile, was behaving civilly to Margaret and Sophia. That is to say, he was somewhat more than merely civil to Margaret and somewhat less to Sophia. It was obviously not without reason that Sophia had complained of his auteur. He could not, as Sidney had pleaded, help being tall, but he might have helped the excessive rigidity with which he stood upright till invited to sit down. The fact was that he had reason to believe that the ladies of Mr. Gray's family made very free of his sister's name and affairs, and though he would have been sorry to have been obliged to defend all she said and did, he felt some very natural emotions of dislike towards those who were always putting the worst construction upon the whole of her conduct. He believed that Mr. Gray's influence was exerted on behalf of peace and good understanding, and he thought he perceived that Sidney, with the shrewdness which some boys show very early, was more or less sensible to the absurdity of the feud between the partner's wives and daughters and towards these members of the Gray family Mr. Enderby felt nothing but goodwill. He talked politics with Mr. Gray in the shrubbery of the church on Sunday, executed commissions for him in London, and sent him game, and Sidney was under obligations to him for many a morning of sport, and many a service such as gentlemen who are not about five and twenty, and its freaks can render to boys entertaining their teens. Whatever might be his opinion of women in general from the particular specimens which had come in his way, had too much sense and gentlemanly feeling to include Mrs. Gray's guests in the dislike he felt towards herself, or to suppose that they must necessarily share her disposition towards his relations. Perhaps he felt, unknown to himself, some inclination to prepossess them in favour of his connections, to stretch his complacence a little as a precaution against the prejudices with which he knew Mrs. Gray would attempt to occupy their minds. However this might be, he was as amicable with Margaret as his mother was with her sister. He soon found out that the strangers were more interested about the natural features of Deerbrook than about its gossip. He was amused at the earnestness of Margaret's inquiries about the scenery of the neighbourhood, and he lovingly promised that she should see every nook within twenty miles. I dare say, if I were to ask you, you have never seen a glass bottle blown or a tea tray painted. If I have, said Margaret, I know many ladies in Birmingham who have not. You will not be surprised, then, if you find some ladies in Deerbrook who do not ride, and who can tell you no more of the pretty places near than if they had been brought up in Whitechapel. They keep their best sights for strangers and not for common use. I am in reality only a visitor at Deerbrook. I do not live here and never did, yet I am better able to be your guide than almost any resident. The ladies, especially, are extremely domestic. They are far too busy to have ever looked about them. But I will speak to Mr. Gray and... Oh, pray, do not trouble Mr. Gray. He has too much business on his hands already, and he is so kind, and he will be putting himself out of his way for us, and all we want is to be in the open air in the fields. 
All you want? Very like starlings in a cage. And he looked as if he was smiling at the well-known speech of the starling. But he did not quote it. My mother is now saying that Mr. Hope finds time for everything, and she is right. He will help us. You must see Hope, and you must like him. He is the great boast of the place, next to the new sign. Is the sign remarkable or only new? Very remarkable for ingenuity, if not for beauty. It is the bonnet so blue, a lady's bonnet of blue satin with brown bows, or whatever you may call the trimming when you see it. And we are favored besides with the portrait of a milliner holding the bonnet so blue. We talk nearly as much of this sign as of Mr. Hope, but you must see them both and tell us which you like best. We have seen Mr. Hope. He was here yesterday evening. Well, then, you must see him again, and you must not think the worse of him for his being praised by everybody you meet. It is no ordinary case of a village apothecary. Margaret laughed. So little did Mr. Hope look like the village apothecary of her imagination. Ah, I see you know something of the predilection of villagers for the apothecary. How the young people wonder that he always cures everybody, and how the old people could not live without him, and how the poor folks take him for a sort of magician, and how he obtains more knowledge of human affairs than of any other kind of man. But Hope is, though a very happy man, not this sort of privileged person. His friends are so attached to him that they confide to him all their own affairs, but they respect him too much to gossip at large to him of other people's. I see you do not know how to credit this, but I assure you, though the inhabitants of Deerbrook are as accomplished in the arts of gossip as any villagers in England, Hope knows little more than you do at this moment about who are upon terms and who are not. My sister and I must learn this art of ignorance, said Margaret. If it be really true that the place is full of quarrels, we shall be afraid to stay, unless we can contrive to know nothing about them. Oh, do not suppose we are worse than others who live in villages. Since our present rector came, we have risen somewhat above the rural average of peace and quiet. And the country has always been identical with the idea of peace and quiet to us, town-bred people, said Margaret. And very properly, in one sense. But if you leave behind the din of streets for the sake of stepping forth from your work-table upon a soft lawn, or of looking out upon the old church steeple among the trees, while you hear nothing but bleating and chirping, you must expect some set-off against such advantages. And the set-off is the being among a small number of people who are always busy looking into one another's small concerns. But that is not a necessary evil, said Margaret. From what you are saying just now, it appears it may be avoided. From what I was saying about hope? Yes, such one as hope may get all the good out of every situation, without its evils. But... But nobody else, said Margaret, smiling. Well, Hester and I must try whether we cannot have to do with lawns and sheep for a few months without quarrelling or having to do with quarrels. And what if you are made the subject of quarrels? asked Mr. Enderby. How are you to help yourselves in that case? How does Mr. Hope help himself in that case? It remains to be seen. As far as I know, the whole place is agreed about him at present. Everyone will tell you that never was society so blessed with a medical man before, from the rector to my mother, who never quarrel with anybody down to the village scold. I am not going to prepossess you against even our village scold by telling her name. You will know it in time, though your first acquaintance will probably be with her voice. So we are to hear something besides bleating and chirping. A tremendous knock at the door occurred, as if in answer to this. All the conversation in the room suddenly stopped, and Mr. and Mrs. Rowland walked in. This is my sister, Mrs. Rowland, observed Mr. Enderby to Margaret. 
This is my daughter Priscilla, Mrs. Rowland, said Mrs. Enderby to Hester. Both sisters were annoyed at feeling timid and nervous on being introduced to the lady. There is something imposing in hearing a mere name very often, in the proof that the person it belongs to fills a large space in people's minds, and when the person is thus frequently named with fear and dislike, an idea is originated of a command over powers of evil which makes the actual presence absolutely awful. This seemed now to be felt by all. Sophia had nothing to say. Mrs. Grace head twitched nervously while she turned from one to the other with slight remarks. Mrs. Enderby ran on about their having all happened to call at once, and its being quite a family party in Mrs. Gray's parlour, and Mr. Phillips's flow of conversation had stopped. Margaret thought he was trying to help loving. The call could not be an agreeable one. The partner's ladies quoted their own children's sayings about school and Miss Young, and Miss Young's praise of the children. They each vied with the other in eulogium of Miss Young, evidently on the ground of her hopes of Fanny and Mary on the one hand, and of Matilda, George, and Anna on the other. Mrs. Enderby interposed praises of all the children, while Mr. Holland engaged Hester's attention, calling off her observation and his own from the sparring of the rival mothers. Philip informed Margaret at length that George was a fine little fellow, who would make a good sportsman. There was some pleasure in taking such a boy at fishing, but Mr. Philip had lighted on a dangerous topic as he soon found. His sister heard what he was saying, and began an earnest protest against little boys fishing, on account of the danger, and against any idea that she would allow her church to run any such risks. Of course, this made Mrs. Gray fire up, as at an imputation upon her care of her son Sidney, and before the rest of the company could talk down the dispute, it bore too much of the appearance of a recrimination about the discharge of maternal duties. Margaret thought that, but for the relationship, Mrs. Rowland might fairly be concluded to be the village's cold, alluded to by Mr. Enderby. It was impossible that he could have been speaking of his sister. But Deerbrook was a very unfortunate place if it contained a more unamiable person than she appeared at this moment. The faces of the two ladies were still flushed with excitement when Mr. Hope came in. The sisters thought he appeared like a good genius, so amiable did the party grow on his entrance. It seemed as if he was a great favourite with the Rowlands as with the other family. So friendly was the gentleman, and so gracious the lady, while Mr. Hope was, to all appearance, unconscious of the existence of any unpleasant feelings among his neighbours. The talk flowed on about the concerns of personages of the village, about the aspect of public affairs, about the poets of the age, and what kind of poetry was most read in Deerbrook, and how the book society went on till all had grown cordial, and some began to propose to be hospitable. Mrs. Rowland hoped for the honour of seeing the Miss Ibbotsons one day the next week, when Mr. Rowland should have returned from a little excursion of business. Mrs. Enderby wondered whether she could prevail all her young friends to spend an evening with her before her son left Deerbrook, and Mrs. Gray gave notice that she should shortly issue her invitations to those with whom she wished her young cousins to become better acquainted. All went right for the rest of the morning, when the Enderbys and Rowlands went away, the Lewits came. When Dr. Lewitt inquired about the schools in Birmingham, it could not but come out that Hester and Margaret were dissenters. Yet, as they were desired to observe, he did not seem in the least shocked, and his manner was just as kind to them after this disclosure as before. He was pronounced a very liberal man. Mr. Hope was asked to stay to dinner, and Mrs. Gray complacently related the events of the morning to her husband as he took his place at the table. Deerbrook had done its duty to Hester and Margaret pretty well for the first day. Everybody of consequence had called but the Andersons. 
but they would no doubt come on Sunday. End of chapter 4 Recording by Ellie February 2010